Is it wintry? Well, it's Five Tuesdays in Winter. I was going to use it just to go off the title, but then I was like... Wait, what's the name of it? It's Five Tuesdays... <laughs> I go, is it wintry? <laughs> five Tuesdays in Winter. Stupid. I don't know. Hello. It but, says winter. Winter yeah. <laughs> is in the title. <laughs> Stupid. Oh, God. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest new readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today, we're talking about wintry reads. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Tina. Hi, Renee. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this seemingly easy topic, but wasn't so easy to find books, which we did last winter. We did. And I feel like I, I had as hard of time finding books last year. But then this year ended up being a more successful year after mm-hmm. digging, digging. And that's why I love, we say, we say it all the time that we love doing these topics because yep. it, I would not have found one of these books in particular. No way would I have found that without doing this topic. And, and I ended up loving it. You must have read my mind. Like, this is bizarre. We're doing the thing we do again because I have in my welcome notes, invite people to join our our reading challenge. And I literally created this reading challenge because exactly the same thing. We were under winter reads. And I'm like, what am I going to read? I had ones I thought. I was like, sample, sample, no. I found a list of winter reads on Libby. um, And it was from, obviously, librarians. And through that, I found, I just downloaded it. I'm like, I'm not going to like this book. Whatever. The cover's pretty. I loved it. I loved it. I never would have read it without these challenges. And Mm -hmm. so this brings us to our reading challenge. We wanted to invite you all because honestly, having topics to read for has been so enriching for my reading life, for your reading life. And we wanted it to be very, very low stakes. So we announced it on Instagram. And basically what we did was select 12 categories. And the categories that we selected are all episodes that we've done. Or they're ones that we're doing this year. So for example, bookstore browse, celebrity book club, easily distracted by new releases. So what we're inviting you to do is basically read almost along with us. Now, you don't have to go in order. You don't have to read a specific book. But we want you to take a look at your reading and try and challenge yourself. Like, okay, uh, a band book. What band book could I read to try and fit into this category And then we decided at the end of the year, everyone who completes the challenge, just send us, you know, tag us on Instagram, send us a list of the books that you read for each category, and we'll enter you in to win a Book Talk Etc. t-shirt. And there's also a story graph challenge, and I'm just so jazzed. And it's thanks to, kind of, thanks to us, (laughs) but no, (laughs) thanks to like our idea to have topics to read for, because it really has just gotten me so inspired. And so hopefully you'll join us. Look for that graphic over on Instagram. We'll pin it. And we'll link to the story graph 
our yes. challenge on the story graph too. Yes, exactly. We'll link to that challenge so that you all can figure out like, okay, where do I search for story graph challenges? All of that will be in our show notes. And yeah, hopefully you'll join us. We invited our patrons first and we already have like over 50 people that have hopped on story graph and joined the challenge. So I'm so excited. It's also fun too. Because you could then click on and see what books other people in the challenge read for that category. And I'm like, this is, I mean, it's a slippery slope. I love a good challenge. I love a good challenge. So we'll see if I I complete my own challenge for the year. (laughs) Well, you will. You, You will. Just by what we're doing, you'll you'll we'll each complete the challenge. Yes. And then it will also be fun for people once they or during the challenge or once they complete the challenge, go back and find our particular episode where we talk yes. about what's in that challenge and get even more recommendations. Exactly. And in Storygraph, that's exactly how I have it listed. So I'm like, okay, here, you know, for celebrity book club, read a book recommended by a celebrity book club or listen to episode blank of book talk, et cetera, for inspiration. So I did link yes. our, our, or I listed our show episode number. It's fun. We always come up with something. We do. We know. And it, it is fun. And, and now others can hopefully yes. just you know, bring a little something extra to their reading lives, especially if you're a mood reader, you might mm-hmm. really like to have just a little bit of focus or structure where you can just pick a category on the challenge and then, you know, go from there, do some Googling, pull up at the episode list or read something that we read or who knows. I, I think it would be fun. Yeah. And they actually might even inspire us too. If they happen to yeah. get to a challenge before we record the episode, we might find books that we haven't read yet for that topic. So yes, all good things. But let's start with our loving lately. And I really, I have to tell you all, I'm a little bit struggling. I'm running out of recommendations for, I feel like I don't want to always bring products every week. So I was stretching myself to really think, okay, what else do you love and consume outside of you know, products or things like that? So I wanted to bring a podcast that I listened to, and I used to be a big podcast listener. Now with my our podcast, I don't get the chance to listen as often, but I really like Book Riot, the podcast. It's very straightforward, and what I like about them, they've been podcasting, gosh, it must be years and years and years at this point. Um, the hosts are Jeff O'Neill and Rebecca Shinsky, and you, you probably have heard of Book Riot if you're book fans, but... What's different about their show is it's not book recommendations. It is a weekly news talk show about what's cool, new, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading, which of course is right up our alley. Like this is how I sometimes, you know, if there's something, if there's something controversial or something worth talking about going on in the book world, I like to turn on their podcast just to see them break it down. They're both books. I actually don't know what their um, credentials are, if you will, but I know they're working in the book world like this is their full-time job. So it's very interesting to me to be kind of a person that has one foot in the book world, one foot out, to hear folks that are in the industry talk about what's important to them or what's interesting, what's buzzy over on their side of the house. The episode that I specifically wanted to recommend, I just listened to, it was the Top Bookish Stories of 2022 came out on December 18th. And basically, as the title suggests, they went back 
and talked about the most important, interesting, and befuddling stories from the year in books and reading. It was fun because there were some things that I had forgotten about. Like, for example, in the beginning of the year, Brandon Sanderson had his Kickstarter. I forgot about that. They talk about book sales. They talk about adaptations. Anyway, give them a listen. Um, I like the hosts a lot. I will say they're lacking John's editing. Like, I really want them to just edit out some of the pauses, some of the, I'm like, you know, bring it to life. But it very much feels like you're literally just listening in on a work phone call in a good way, in a way with two colleagues that really, really respect each other. So that was what I've been loving lately. It is Book Riot, the podcast. Okay, good. I don't follow them. And I'm glad, so I'm glad you brought that because now I'm going to go subscribe. It wasn't one that, I know I've heard of of them, but it, it just wasn't on my radar to have them in my podcast feed. So good, yes. and you'll like it all too because right. you you like all that nerdy kind of stuff mm-hmm. like I do. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you you had me with book news. Yeah, and like mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. All right, my loving lately is something that I just uh, started January first, um, and I'm calling it my message of the day. Now. What I'm doing, um, I'm using this book that I got at the Barnes & Noble 50% off sale, which was so good. And it's called 1,000 Plus Little Things Happy Successful People Do Differently by Mark and Angel Chernoff. And it caught my eye because I like this I like this type of book. But the way it's set up, I brought it to show you, Tina. Mm-hmm. But the way it's set up, it's like, little individual things. And every section has like number eight, do things your future self will thank you for. Okay. It's, it's little now, now I'm not going to sit down and read this whole entire book at one go. So what I'm doing every day and I'm alternating. Sometimes I feel like doing it in the morning over coffee. Sometimes I'm waiting until the evening. I am closing my eyes and I am just flipping, flipping, flipping. And then I stop. And wherever I stop, the first thing I look at, that's my message of the day. That's what I feel like. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm going to say? That's what the I feel universe. like. The universe. The universe thinks I need yes. to know for this yes. day. And I highlight it. Oh my gosh. I accidentally, I just turned to one of my, I highlight it and I'm putting the date and like a little note beside it so I that this. I have this now. Obviously, this is probably going to take me more than just this year, but this is a little fun something that I'm doing for myself. And once the whole book is done, I'm going to have like the dates and and all of that. And yesterday I, I got a message and I was like, if this isn't exactly what I need to hear right now, and it was crazy. I, I just love doing something like this. Um, Can you buy me that book? I want to do it too. Show me the cover. You want to do it? Yes, I love this so much. So, so much. I think it would be fun for anyone to do. It doesn't have to be this particular book. I do like that anything, anything in here is going to have like a message that is like positive or uplifting or encouraging. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I know that when I open it, I'm going to get something like that. I just don't know what it will be. There's quite, I mean, there's a thousand, who knows? But if you don't want to get a book or, or, you know, do something like that, you can always, you can always print off, like you can go online and print off like a thousand um, word of the days 
mm-hmm. you know, take a little bit of time, cut each word, you know, into a strip of paper, put all the papers in a box and pick one every day. That's like fun. there's there's different variations that you could do for this, but I am really liking this and I'm calling it my message of the day. And the book was 1000 plus little things happy successful people do differently by Mark and Angel Chernoff. That's perfect. And it's so satisfying. It was so satisfying to watch your face <laughs> as you accidentally opened to I, the page that was highlighted. You're like, can I'm you just what I was that? trying to show you. No, it's good. I know. I love Isn't that. that crazy? Because yeah. I just started this January 1st. Um, <sighs> so I've only, I only have nine highlighted days. You know, that's not that many. So that sounds so fun. I'm going to look for that book. I have two bookstores I'm going to visit. Tomorrow I'm going to go to uh, Bookies. I'm going to try to go there after work for spare. And then um, we're going in Florida on one of the days to this place Amy recommended to us because it's books and wine. I'm like, oh, yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, fun. All right. Well, let me tell you about my latest read. And this, okay, if you remember the very end of 2022, I was saying, okay, well, now what do I do? I've had, I've read all my books. We've recorded the episode. I don't want to read any other books that could possibly make the list. Unfortunately for me, I did. So it's like a good thing slash I, you know, would have possibly, this one could have made my top 10 list. It's that good. It's Before I Let Go by Kennedy Ryan. And I truly stopped reading it at one point and thought, oh, I'm going to pick this up in the new year. It's, I can just tell there was one pivotal moment. I'm like, nope, this is going to be for next year as a possible best of 2023. And I, then I stopped myself and thought, okay, you're taking things a little too far. Like, please finish <laughs> your book. Enjoy, enjoy your reading, you know? So this book is about Yasmin and Josiah Wade, and they are ex-partners. They still have two kids. They obviously are co-parenting their children. And they're also business partners and they have a restaurant together. So things are a little bit complicated, but they're doing pretty well when it comes to their relationship. In the beginning, you come to find them. They're very young. They're just starting out and uh, you just love them from the start. You can tell they are ride or die for each other. They love each other. But then life had other plans and they got blow after blow and they found that their love alone couldn't keep them together. So in the beginning, you you meet them for a brief chapter, and then it's, I think, we'll say uh, two years after they got divorced. And Yasmin is doing her best. She's, you know, starting over, but she's slowly finding her way back to herself. She's got this fantastic friend group, and they're going out to dinner. And Josiah is very supportive, you know, very much... Um, supportive of what she wants to do. They still live in the same town. And they're finding their rhythm. Uh, she's having a little bit of challenge with their daughter, Deja, something like 13, 14 years old. So it's a challenging time to be a mother of a young woman. And it's just funny because I'm like, oh my God, is this what's coming for me <laughs> sometime down? <laughs> it's it's coming for sure. But, uh, um, but you'll find as you're reading, my question was, why are they divorced? I'm confused. Like, Clearly, they respect each other. Like, what's going on? And that's the point of the book. You slowly figure out what happened to them. You slowly start to see them find themselves in their new normal and see what might happen if they might come back together. Is there still an opportunity for that? Is there not? And I'm going to leave it there. 
I recommend not reading the synopsis. I know you. we all always say that, but I just think it's fun. If you're looking for a love story that feels real with fully fleshed out characters, that's, for me, the right amount of spice or the right amount of steam, not too much one way or the other. And it may or may not between be present day. It might be flashbacks. We don't know. Um, but if you're looking for a story it just feels like you know these people. It's like an inside look at two people you feel like you could know. I definitely think you should give this a shot. I loved this book is so pro therapy, very, very much a story that you can just tell the author understands mental health and wanted her characters to be as mentally healthy as they could be. Gosh, there's just so much that this book unpacks. I will say, you might wish to read some of the trigger warnings and story graph because there's a couple things that I think could upset people if they've gone through similar things. But it's done in a very respectful, very, very thoughtful way. I absolutely adored this book. And I she's an auto-read author for me, Kennedy Ryan. I'm definitely going to continue reading her. I, re- I also read Real by her last year. This is mm-hmm. just as good. If you know, you know, Jacoby Diem also narrates this one. I love him. He's actually J.D. Jackson, and this is like the name he uses when he narrates spicy books. So all in all, I highly recommend. I also absolutely love the cover, and I'm so glad I read this. It's Before I Let Go by Kennedy Ryan. Oh, yeah. All I needed to hear was, will they, won't they? Oh, that will gets they me every they? time. That's, mm-hmm. I need to know. I'm wondering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that theme in my romance, which I don't pick mm-hmm. up romance too often, but... I like a will they, won't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Just, with depth. Not with, yes. you know, not with like, I don't like jerky characters. I like real people with depth. Yes. This has got that in spades. Very real people. No, they're not disrespectful toward each other. Mm-hmm. There's not that like kind of, oh my gosh, you know, get over it, you two. You understand how they got to where they are and you feel for them because you're like, God, what would I do in that situation? Like it's that layered. Okay. Oh, good. All right. I have a very different read for my latest read, but it also falls under winter reads, um, which I assumed because of the cover, but then the opening scene threw me off because it's initially set in summer, but then it is a winter read. So all my reads will be winter reads. And this is Road Ends by Mary Lawson. This is a backlist. This is uh, 2014. And I came across this in my research, but also I realized, I was like, I know that author. And then I realized um, she wrote A Town Called Solace that I read oh, yeah. and loved last yes. year that ended up mm-hmm. on my best of list. So as soon as I remember that, I was like, oh, okay, yes, Mary Lawson. I wanted to read more by her. And this is a this is a book about family relationships and about self-sacrifice, and about trying to decide how much responsibility you have to those you love. You have a family, the Cartwright family, and you have 21-year-old Megan, and she has never been outside of their very small town in, um, in Ontario. And they live. the town itself is set deep in the woods, and they have harsh winters. And Megan is in a family with seven brothers. And at 21, she has been the caregiver, the housekeeper, the the person who really holds this family together. 
And you know that really early on. Now, mind you, she is that person, but she also has two parents inside the house. So you know something is going on in this family. Why is Megan running the show? Mm -hmm. Why is she doing everything? Um, And then the initial like opening scene is actually with her brother, Tom and his friends. So we, we get to know Tom, who is her older brother by two years. And it's a very emotional opening scene. So a bit of a trigger warning for that, although it's not graphic. From there, then we get to know, we, we switch to Megan. And Megan makes a statement right in the opening scene to her family, which is, uh, I've been revolving my life around you all. And now I'm leaving and I'm going to go live my own life and I'm going to London. And so really, truly, the story does take off from there because it alternates between Megan's perspective which is, is starts in about January of 1966 for her, but it will alternate with Tom's perspective as well as his father, Edward, and their perspectives are like winter time in January 1969. This is a very interesting like time structure that the author chose to use, but it worked. Now, what's important to know? As soon as Megan leaves, the family literally crumbles, and we have we're there for a front row seat. Um, older brother Tom, he is reeling from what happened in the opening scene. He has he's very traumatized. He's trying to to go on with his life. You also have their mother Emily. Something is going on with her. She continues to have babies that then she doesn't want to take care of. And then you have Edward, the father, who lives there, but acts like he has a whole nother life. It's it's very bizarre, but also I could not stop reading. This is a book that will alternate between Ontario and London. And what happens with Megan, Megan is the glue for this story. I was immediately invested in her I needed to know what was going to happen, how, but then I was also equally invested in Tom's perspective and what was happening in the home. Father Edward has a a perspective, and I didn't really care for him or his perspective. But this is a family that makes you want to reach into the pages and like shake them and yell at them. And it's so what she has been able to do is create a story with highly flawed, layered characters, and things happen, although it sounds like what the heck even happens in the story. Things happen, but what happens to the characters are the consequences of their choices. And you know, because it's a a story, they make good choices and they make not good choices, and then it affects everyone. I could not stop reading this book. It's very character driven. It can be it can be quiet at times, but it it's about a dysfunctional family and everybody coming to terms with their place in it. It's deceptively straightforward, but also just a really really good story. I highly recommend it. 
I think I'm going to be checking out Mary Lawson's um, backlist, continue to look through the, the books. I think if that sounds good, don't read anything else about it. Just pick it up and give it a try. It's Road Ends by Mary Lawson. Yeah, this one sounds like a Renee for sure. Like I would be tempted <laughs> too, but like I love like the London, the, you know, kind of the whole setup. I'm like, mm-hmm, I could feel I wish I, I could, could say you. more. Yeah, I wish I could say more, but I can't. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you gave us just yeah. enough. Like I don't, I don't, I could, I like, you know, it's one of those. I'm like, all right. I guess when you break it down, it doesn't sound like a lot happened. Like even mine, I'm like, it I doesn't know. sound like a lot happens, but I promise you, you'll be entertained. Right. It's sometimes you just end up following the characters. The the suspense comes because you're because you're invested in the characters and what happens yes, to them. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about Wintry Reads. It's so funny. We don't, I was going to say, we don't often repeat episodes, but like we've only been around for a year and a half. Right. So. <laughs> but this is the second time we're doing Wintry Reads. And this time I was trying to decide like, it wasn't even a question for us, I don't think. We're like, oh, yeah, wintry reads. No. Like, it was just, yeah, like, we have something mm-hmm. we wanted to do. And my question was, why does it feel good to read for this season? What is it about that, like, that makes it feel good? Um, and I found this one article. It was on a blog called Life is a Pearl. And she had the perfect way to sum it up. But she says, by choosing books based on the mood of the current season, it's a way to fully immerse myself in the atmosphere, weather, and even flavors of that time of year. And like, that is exactly Mm -hmm. it. It's like an immersive experience. And it also, for me, helps me enjoy it. And she made this point too, seasons, well, and and we know we're in the Midwest, so we do get all four seasons. If you're not in a place with seasons, maybe it helps bring you into that season in theory. But here, you know, you have three months and it's winter, three months and it's spring, three, you know, they're so Mm -hmm. short. It almost forces you to stop and really kind of like, okay, be in the moment with the season. And both of mine definitely gave me, obviously, wintry feelings. And it was fun to read during this time of year. Yes, I I agree. I think that there's something special about reading a book where they're talking in the story about how cold they are. Mm-hmm. Or there's yes. a, in, in in the case of all of my books today, but especially the next two I'm going to talk about, I can't imagine the story taking place without a tremendous amount of snow and cold Mm -hmm. and bitter temperatures. It wouldn't have been the same story at all. And I love like sinking into that type of read and hearing or, or reading that people are, you know, drinking hot chocolate by the fire or having a glass of wine by the fire and mm-hmm. like going, there's just something about that. And you're, and because we're having the exact same weather now, mm-hmm. I can think that if you are in a place that is warm year round, this would be a chance to experience, I guess, the type of cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bring yourself into that winter season, you know, in this hemisphere, one of my, actually both of mine, I was like, I am so thankful for indoor heating. I'm so thankful I am not outside right now. I'm gl- glad that I have everything I need to to stay warm because both of mine like were pretty brutal in terms of the elements. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I don't know what else. I like, 
I, I don't know. Lately, I've gotten into just creating the whole scene as far mm-hmm. as cold weather reading because I also am very particular about my ASMR uh, rooms on YouTube. Yeah, same. <laughs> so I, I like, I think I made it a whole thing. Like I'm reading a book set in the winter with snow and cold temperatures while also it's cold here while also on my TV, mm-hmm. I, c- I will only pick a scene. I like jazz music, like mm-hmm. light instrumental jazz, but it, and then the, it, I can only pick a scene where it's a coffee shop or something and it's snowing outside. Yeah. If I come, if it shows rain, I have to switch it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm the same way um, because yesterday when we're recording, it's still early January. And one of the ones that kept coming up is Christmas in the coffee shop. I'm like, no, no, no I more. Don't no. Christmas. We don't have mm-hmm. Christmas anymore. I need, no. I like the ones that are, oh my gosh, these are my favorite. You can tell they're in a high rise building, like in Manhattan or some big, big city, and their bed is pushed up into the corner <laughs> next to these giant floor to ceiling windows. And you can see the lights twinkling outside, and there's maybe snow. Oh, like some of these sets, I'm like, I oh, want to model my own living room <laughs> after <laughs> what I'm seeing on my television. And then I think, we have this huge TV and like some, you know, our blinds are mostly closed, but sometimes not. And like, I know my neighbors can see into my home and I'm like, they probably just think, why is this lady watching a fireplace on her TV? <laughs> like, does she actually <laughs> use it for things other than sports and these ASMR rooms or, mm-hmm. or, or what? And I, I, truth is I don't. That and housewives. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, Yeah. And so as I was preparing for this too, one of the things that got me thinking was about our TBR because one I just found happen- happening to research for this episode. The other one has been on my TBR since literally, I think, 2016. And I was saving oh. it specifically for winter. So I was like, I cannot read this book in summer. If I miss it this winter, oh, well, I'm saving it for next year. And I do that a lot. I'm looking, I have a, a book over here that's definitely for my spooky read season. I'm not going to read it before then. Like, there's just certain books that I hold. But I was looking and thinking through my TBR, and I'd be curious to know you, Renee, if you go through your TBR and do you ever take books off of your TBR? Yes. I I take books off of my literal print bookshelf, which I just rearranged finally. And I, I removed quite a few mm-hmm. that I just, I ended up saying, okay, this has been here forever. Do I really feel like I want to hold on on to this, especially a print book. So if the answer was no, then no, it's in my little free library pile and somebody is going to enjoy that. And then I also remove books from my um, to-be-read shelf on Goodreads. Mm -hmm. I need to update that just because I'm still getting back in the swing of Goodreads. But yeah, I will go through and just see if that particular book if I still have any desire to even read it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, same here. Um, when I used to blog regularly, I think like once every year or every other year, I would go in and say, okay, I have this many books on my want to read shelf. And then I would take a certain number off. And like, it would just depend on, like there are some books that I've had on here. Um, Night, Ellie Weissel. I've had that on my list since 2010. Why have I not read it? It's like... <laughs> 150 pages. I'm not sure. But then 
yeah, it's like a feeling. I look through and I think, oh, here's one, The Grown Up, Gillian Flynn. I had it on my shelf since 2016, and guess what? I read it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that one I've been keeping on, knowing that I actually do want to read it. But then I do think I go through some, and I'm like, why did I want to read this? I think calling it from time to time is really helpful because then it forces me at least to say, all right, have I ever tried this? Am I going to? Why did I put it on my list in the first place? And if I can't remember, chances are it's getting the boot. But I'm looking at my list currently. There's 200, there's 220 on my want to read list. And I know I have not put very many on in the last couple of years. I still got some bangers in here. There's still a lot in here that I want to read. I'm like, oh no, I can tell that I have done a lot of removing of some. But yeah, I guess this was just my um, plug for you all to tell us how you keep your TBR. Because I've heard some people are so methodical and so good Mm -hmm. at saying, okay, if I didn't get to it by the end of this year, they delete their TBR like on Goodreads. And I can't imagine. I would, it, it probably would be so freeing, but then I would be like, what if I forget about this book? Chances of that happening are not super great, but. I think I have a higher, I bet you I have a higher amount of books on my Kindle, um, which I guess you would say that's another TBR. Yeah. Probably have, I probably have literally three TBRs going. Oh, Because I least. forgot about yeah. my Kindle. That's where I send all the samples. Yeah. So I don't forget about them. But yeah, and it's a pain to remove Kindle samples. I don't know why like Amazon does not make that easier. But on the flip side, once I do start going through my Kindle, I can I can say, oh, I forgot about, I forgot I wanted to read this. Um, mm-hmm. And then I either take the time to like manually delete if I realize like, nope, I don't want to read this anymore. So I wonder if I could ever put all the books in one place. It's tempting, I don't know. right? I, I don't it know if tempting. we'll ever get to that point. Maybe. I know. Some of these books I'm looking, I'm like, what in God's name were you? What is this book? I've never heard of it before. How did it make the list? <laughs> um, I wonder if people, let us know if, do you keep more than one TBR in diff, like, like I have print, Goodreads, and Kindle? Or do you keep just one ongoing TBR? I'm very curious how mm-hmm. people do this. Would you call, so what you're looking at, is your Goodreads also what you have on your bookshelf behind you? God, no. Same oh, books? Absolutely okay, not. different oh, books. Okay. Not out, not even close. No. <laughs> Some of them are over here. Some of them. Now, these are a mix of having having read them and ones I want to read. Most of the stuff I want to read is on my Goodreads. And then I think lately, within the last year, I really put a lot of that on the story graph. So okay. now I have two digital TBRs. But I'm tempted to just kind of, I don't know what I would do. What if I did delete it all? What would happen? Nothing. Well, I know. Literally nothing. Would you feel like you lost something or would you feel like... I think I would. I I get to start over. No, I think I would feel sad. I think Uh, I really would. Because I think in my brain, I'm deluding myself to say, no, someday you're going to read these books. What do you mean? So maybe what I need to do is just go through and cull it and just take some off that I know, listen, I'm not going to read. You tried it. You didn't like it. Whatever the case may be. But yes, then sometimes you get into... The situation like I got into, though, where I did finish a book that's been on my TBR for years and years, and I was so happy to have crossed it off. I felt very, a sense of satisfaction. So I'll dive in and tell you about that particular book. It's called 
Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. Oh, Krakauer. Mm-hmm. Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. And this one, I like I said, have had a copy of it. I got it from, uh, it's a beautiful cover, actually. I got it from Book of the Month. Um, it's like these pinks and blues. And obviously, it's about um, a journalist named John Krakauer who summited Mount Everest. And he essentially wanted to write a story about it. However, the thing that he didn't know was going to happen when he got on the mountain was that it was going to be one of the most deadly summits ever at that time. Um, This was written in 1999. So you know in the book when you started that people die, but you don't exactly know who or how or what happened. So this is very popular. It's got 464,000 ratings and a 4.22 average. So definitely this has been around for a long time. Like I said, it this came out in 1999. And God, the synopsis is terrible. That's why I'm struggling. It's like just a wall of text. Oh. All right. So when he reaches the summit of Mount Everest in 1996, he hadn't slept in 57 hours and was reeling from the brain-altering effects of oxygen depletion. And the thing that they say that I guess I, I know nothing about mountain climbing, by the way. I'm an indoor cat. I don't like to be outside <laughs> if I can help it. So I will literally never do this myself. But the thing that they say is, and they joke, mountaineers joke, scaling and getting to the top of Everest is the easy part. The hard part's getting back down. And I can tell you, I don't know that I've ever thought about that. Like the descent and how, okay, you're literally, when you get to the top of the mountain, you're only halfway done. So when he, everyone on the same trip. So when you go, there is a guy that's kind of the head person. And then there's like a group that you're with um, scaling this mountain. And in this book, there's three different groups that kind of center on each other with three different guides that are in the lead. And these are people all over the world. There's some Americans, there's some New Zealanders, there's people from all over. And then they also have the Sherpas, which are people that are native to the region that essentially help them up this, help them up the mountain. And I think the... The interesting reveal for me for this, I liked my reading experience. It was dense at times. I was like, I don't know anything about mountaineering. I'm kind of getting lost in some of the detail. He is a meticulous researcher, so I definitely appreciated that a lot. And I do think if you had some mountain climbing experience, you would get even more out of it. I was having trouble figuring out who's who and who's going to, you know, who's a part of what group. In the beginning, though, he does list every single person that was involved. I mean, and it's a four-page document of who's involved and what their role was. I'm like, oh, gosh, what have I done to myself? But here's what I'll say about it. Once I got through about the first quarter, I was like, okay, I'm I'm interested. I'm into it. I want to know what happens because you know that people are going to get left on the mountain and they they die up there and you don't know what happened or, like, what's going to go on. So, I did the audio of this because I tend to prefer my nonfiction on audio. I would not recommend it, though, because it was literally a book on tape. And I think we're so spoiled now by the great production of the audiobook narrators. This was, stop here for book one. Put the next disc in for book two. Yeah. I was like, oh, my goodness. I was like laughing because it was such a blast from the past. But that said, I did enjoy it. Um, By the end, I was really, really interested to see how everything would culminate. We know John lives to tell the story. There's also movies that are based on this. But the thing that I hadn't realized was that there was some beef afterwards of the people that survived. One of the oh. one of the guys that was the, um, the leader of a, a different um, pack, 
he basically took umbrage with how Krakauer shared his account of the story. And the man that, he was the Russian guide. His name was Antonoli Bukarev. And he plays a really pivotal role in trying to like go on these search and rescue missions while he's on the mountain. And Bukarev basically was super pissed about how Krakauer portrayed him and said he got it all wrong. And like, it's some shade that he ended up writing his own book and like basically told the everybody that was reading that Krakauer's account was totally fabricated and he's a bad journalist. And then, so in the book I got, I was like, I still have like 20 pages left. What happened? The book has ended. It's all about him basically rebutting and talking to Bukharev oh. to say, here's my account. I never meant for it to sound this way. And then unfortunately, you find out that Bukharev, um, not on the mountain in this case, but Ten years, a couple years later, he gets caught in an avalanche and dies. So Krakauer, oh, wow. they never got to like resolve their beef. It was really spicy at the end. I was very much kind of enjoying like the not enjoying is the wrong word, but gosh, I just think y'all went through so much trauma on this mountain. Like I wanted them to have some re- yeah. resolution. But I will leave you with this: Krakauer is quoted as saying, "Everest is not real climbing; it's rich people climbing. It's a trophy on the wall, and they're done." When I say I wish I'd never gone, I really mean that. So take with that what you will. I'm very glad I read it. I I do think it was inspirational. I think it was different than I was expecting, but really raw. And I will say, I think he was very honest. Krakauer was very, very honest that this is my recollection. I was oxygen depleted. So it's very possible. I did interview folks that were there with us, but it's possible I got some of the details wrong. Like He was very open to that criticism. Mm -hmm. And his big hurt was that Bukharev was not. Bukharev was like, no, this is how it happened. Like, he was not willing to budge an inch. And so it was some of the most literary, like, shit talking I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the way that he just phrased it. Anyway, it was really, really kind of uh, interesting in the end. And this book was Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. Oh, okay. I've always wondered about that, but I'm glad, I'm glad you tackled it and... Yeah, That's, it sounds good, but I have a feeling I might struggle with parts of it too. Yeah, some of it I was like, huh? But it was yeah. it was worth the read. It was worth the read. Okay, I want to tell you about another very backlist book, and this one is Whiteout by Ken Follett. Wow, out, yeah, so back <laughs> two thousand and four. Yeah, when I tell you, I went like deep in my research on like looking for winter reads, and also for this book, I was in the mood for a thriller. I was specifically looking for a thriller that mm-hmm. I haven't read. I did do this on audio. It is Br- British narration, which I really liked a lot. However, I did find quite a lot of it confusing, especially the initial few chapters, because you have to pay attention. There is a lot of main characters, main players thrown at you in the beginning. But if you can stick with that, then the audio is fine but I think it might might work a little bit better in print. This is about a missing canister of a deadly virus. This virus is so deadly, there isn't really a antivirus. What would you, yeah, there isn't really a vaccine An antidote. or antidote to it. Okay. Yeah, there's no antidote to this virus yet. They're working on it. So what it's about is you have this medical research firm and it's set in Scotland. So you have a lab, a lab technician in the beginning is found bleeding from the eyes. You have, oh, I no. know, <laughs> you have the security director of this medical research firm. Her name is Tony Gallo. She is 
going to be one of the main players. And she knows she has problems because, like I said, there's a missing canister of a deadly virus with no antidote. Um, This is the initial setup of the story. We get to know Tony. We get to know the owner of the medical research firm and his family. And those are the other players in this very fast-paced thriller. So on Christmas Eve, as a blizzard whips up out of the North, several people, including Tony, end up converging together in a remote family house. Now, this is the family house of the owner of this medical research firm. And he's got kids and grandkids and a lot of them you will get to know, but everybody has their own agenda. This is a a wealthy family and a lot of them are behaving badly. And then you have Tony. And I really like Tony. Once the balls are in motion, the story becomes what is going to happen because these people end up being stuck in this house Everybody has something to gain or lose from this missing canister of this virus, from the drugs in development to fight the virus. And then as the storm worsens, we get to experience the jealousies, the distrust, the sexual attraction, the rivalries, and the secrets that are revealed. Because some people in this family are hidden traitors and some are unexpected heroes. And you've got to read to find out who is who and how will this all possibly resolve itself. What I really enjoyed about this book, it is structured in very short chapters. And in the opening, like, get going, get into the story, it's structured hour by hour. So they tell you the time and then, like, when it cuts to a different chapter, it's the next hour. And for me, that was a great way to build suspense. It was very fast paced. I had to know what was going to happen. This is a straight up action thriller. The characters, although there were many, were not the focus as far as the story. What was the focus is the plot. And what is like, can this missing canister be found? And what happens if it's not? What happens if it's released? This is is action. I enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. My biggest criticism has to do with the final quarter, I would say. There were parts of the section that were a hot mess as far as action fight scenes go and chase scenes. And And I think the reason that it, I felt it was a hot mess was because I think those types of scenes work better in movies. If you can, you know, if you can re- like picture like fight scenes and car chases and I don't know, I feel like that plays better in a movie than in a book, but I appreciate, I always appreciate a good epilogue and I feel like, you know, we we got a good epilogue. Overall, this was enjoyable. I felt like it was fairly short. It was quick. It was easy to read. I'm glad I gave it a try. It's perfect for winter reading because the entire story takes place with a blizzard going on outside. 
And if you're at all curious as to what happens with that deadly virus, then you need to give this a try. It's White Out by Ken Follett. You know, I love a deadly virus. <laughs> oh, and this terrible. one was really, I know, it was really interesting because the way that it was made and what the intent of it was, like in this research facility, they had a lot of viruses. Oh. that the, You know what I mean? Like, because they were working on building vaccines. And right. things, so it, it was, yeah, it was quite suspenseful when, and then especially with this particular one and the fact that if it got, you know, if it got out, what were they going to do? Because no one has developed an antidote right. to it. Right. It was, yeah, it was crazy. Well, good. So this for me is a departure from my normal reading taste. And it's one that I've said, I told Renee, it's an author that you love that I don't think you've read this book by her yet. And I hope I'm right. It's okay. between it's between shades of gray by Ruta Sepetis. Oh no, I haven't read that. Yes. Yeah, I know. Okay. I know the title. Okay, yes, it's her debut actually. Oh, and oh, I I love this book so much. This was the one I found going on Libby and looking at their list of winter reads. I downloaded it on a whim. So glad I did. It's about fifteen year old Lena who is a Lithuanian girl living an ordinary life until Soviet officers invade her home and tear her family apart. Her father is a provost at the university, and uh, he gets separated from them. And her mother, Lena, and her young brother are put on a train, and they are forced to go to a Siberian work camp where they are taken there to fight for their lives. And Lena is an artist, and so that's how she kind of finds her sanity, if you will. And, and she ends up documenting some of the things that are going on and builds in these secret messages to people. She's trying to get these letters and these drawings to her dad, and they have almost their own like codes. So she's trying to do it covertly. So you have to read and figure out what happens to these letters. But this is basically it. They're on this train. You come to meet the other Lithuanians that were taken from their home and put into these camps. I have to say, I think 2023 is going to be the year of historical fiction for me. I am so jazzed by this book. And the reason I say it's going to be my year for this genre is because I don't read a ton of it. So I'm like, wow, there's so many quality books that people love that I just haven't read, haven't heard of, don't know much about. You know, like in the thriller space, like I've read the big hitters, right? I feel like I've read a lot of the main big boys Mm -hmm. that everyone loves, but I don't have that same connection to historical fiction. So we'll see how I do. And again, this is the one that inspired me to come up with our book talk, et cetera, reading challenge because I wouldn't have picked it up without our guidelines. And this book grabbed me from the very first page. I kind of did the thing you do in sampling. I opened it. And when I tell you immediately I was hooked, it was like from the first couple pages because there's no the best feeling. She doesn't waste Mm -hmm. any time. No character building right away. You're like, oh, something's up. Something's bad. Something's happening. It shed light on a time period that I have to say I knew very little about. In 1941 in Lithuania, when the country was occupied and Stalin relocated all these residents, and what he did was, you know, kind of targeted the folks that were educated and the ones that had a little bit of influence, and he relocated them and put them on farms and made them work for free. And I will say Lena and her mother are fantastic characters. The author brought their stories to life. And I like that the whole thing is told from Lena's point of view. And you kind of get to come see her come into her own. She was never whiny, never like, oh, I used to be a, you know, whatever. Like never felt woe is me or sorry for herself, even though she would have been well within bounds to feel that way because this was like just so atrocious. 
not too gruesome. I didn't realize this. This is YA. So definitely not too much, I think, for younger readers. But I didn't notice it was YA until I went to Goodreads after I read it. Highly recommend this. I also loved that this book is her debut and it's based on her own family story. So she went to Lithuania when she was, you know, growing up and started, she had this idea, but she started asking her family out there, like, hey, do you have any pictures of grandma or great grandma or whatever? And they're like, well, no, we had to destroy them all because, you know, that's like how people got in trouble. So it was so fascinating. And I love that she in she she is talking on the audiobook and is sharing the story. And she's like, I just am so thankful that they allowed me to come up with this story. I've always wanted to be a writer and now I have a book out. And I'm like, you got many more to come. <laughs> so it was just yes. cool. It was cool to see her be so th- thankful about her debut. This came out in 2011. I'm so excited that I have so many more amazing books to discover by her. I recommend this for book clubs for readers that don't read a ton, maybe casual readers. I think this is so accessible. Anybody could read it, but I think that group specifically would enjoy it a mm-hmm. lot. Or this could be a really good slump buster, a book that you're feeling like you're in a reading slump. Pick this up. I guarantee you'll fall in love. I wanted a little bit more from the ending, I, but I'm greedy. I, like, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, there were some things that I wanted more about, but not enough for me to not recommend it at all. I loved this book. It was Between Shades of Grey by Ruta Sepetis. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I really enjoy her books. Yes, because I remember you brought Fountains of Silence, right? Fountains of Silence is my favorite by her. I've also read Salt to the Sea, which I also love, but Fountains of Silence, ooh, especially the audio of that. Yeah. Amazing production. Nice. Such a, yeah, really, really good. So I'm glad. That's the best feeling though when you start something and you're pulled in almost immediately. Yep. Oh, I even ordered a copy on Pango because I was like, I want this. And it was a dollar because everybody's read this except me. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yay. Hey, even better. All right. I'll take it. Well, I have, I have the exact same type of, of read reading experience for my second book. And it is What Beauty There Is by Corey Anderson. And this is a 2021 debut. This is the book I was talking about. I would not have found this if we weren't doing this particular topic. And wow, I just ended up loving this book. This is about two 17-year-olds, basically. But you have Ava Bardem and you have Jack Dahl. Now, Ava lives pretty much in isolation. Um, She has a father who is extremely controlling and he's basically taught her she can love no one but him and she can't trust anyone. And it's not too long before we find out he is, he's a criminal. He's been involved in quite a lot. He is abusive and he's a killer. And so she definitely lives an isolated life. But then she meets Jack one day at school. Now, Jack I would say Jack is more of the main character, although Ava narrates a lot of this story. Jack is living in poverty with his uh, mother and younger brother, much younger brother. His dad is in prison. Now, in the opening scene, which I do want to say, it's not very long, but it is very haunting and it's very difficult. And there is a content warning for suicide. So... It's a few paragraphs, and you would be okay to skip that. Just want to put that out there. I don't usually talk 
too much about content warnings, but I do think it's important because it's right in the initial opening scene. Okay, back to Jack. Jack is in a bit of a dilemma because, as I said, he's 17. He is faced with taking care of his little brother, but how is he going to do that when he ends up in a situation where he is the sole caretaker and is either going to be his brother's going to go to foster care or Jack has got to find a way to keep them together, which he's going to need money to do that. And the money that he decides he is going to need and he is going to get happens to be the drug money that his dad went to prison over. And he knows that the drug money is out there, that his dad hid it somewhere. So that's the entire like setup of the story. It's going to be off and running. And then Jack and Ava are going to somehow connect and their fates are going to become very dangerously linked because Ava's father is going to end up hunting for Jack. Jack is hunting for the money and Ava is in a dilemma as to who, what does she do? So it's a, it is a very surprising story. And the reason I say it's surprising was it seems very straightforward. I, I, I suspected it was going to be a little bit of like a thriller, but it ended up being a really, really nice combination of a thrilling story along with characters that I was so invested in. I think the author did such an excellent job of building these characters. They were layered. They were interesting. The story being told from both Ava and Jack's perspective worked really well. Both of these teenagers had families who were not there for them literally not there for them, or in Ava's case, not a good father for her. The twists and turns were plentiful. And I was surprised at what a propulsive read this ended up being. I binged it in one evening. At times, it was very much like a thriller. And then at other times, it focused squarely on the characters and the good and the bad that humans inflict on one another. Now, I will say... I had a really like solid four-star feeling about this book. The whole, the almost the whole way I kept thinking, oh my gosh, I really like this. I don't, I don't know that it's quite five stars, but I, I'm really into it. And then it took a turn into bittersweet territory and it made me cry. And then by the end, I was saying bravo to the author for creating a book that navigated hard themes with characters and a story that I will remember. I loved it, and I cannot wait to see what Corey Anderson writes next. I did a little bit of digging. I don't see anything coming yet, but I hope maybe she has something. This was an Amazon editor's pick in 2021 for Best Young Adult Novel. So that was What Beauty There Is by Corey Anderson. Wow, I like a like a good surprise, you know? Like oh, when you I think love oh, to this be... Well, in a good way. Like I I hate yes. when you think it's five star and then it takes, but I think I've said before I would rather have the opposite mm-hmm. where like I was I was so into it and I started off in audio with that, but I ended I I read 
in print because I just couldn't put it down. And I and it was my Friday night reading under oh. a blanket. And it was just so good. And I loved, I I love the risks that she took with the storytelling because she took some risks. It worked for me. That was the bittersweet aspect. Mm-hmm. I never expected to cry. When I picked that book up, I would have never thought, oh, I'll probably, this book will probably make me cry because I mean, there's hard stuff going on, but I feel like, I feel like I've read so much hard stuff that it takes a lot, you know? Yeah. But gosh. But it got you. It got me. I recommend it. All right. Let me tell you about my shelf edition. I'm so excited. I just discovered this was a thing today. It's called Symphony of Secrets by Brendan Slocum. (laughs) He is the author of The Violin Conspiracy. And this is a gripping page turner about how America's most famous composer hit a shocking secret and that his descendants will stop at nothing to make sure no one discovers the truth. So it's set in present day New York City and Bern Hendricks has just received the call of a lifetime to authenticate the long lost musical masterpiece of Frederick Delaney, who is arguably the most prolific composer since Beethoven. And Byrne thought he knew everything there is to know about the man and his music but soon discovers that the truth behind the masterpieces and behind the man himself is far more complicated than he could have ever imagined. Then it goes back to 1920s Manhattan with Josephine Reed, who meets the struggling musician Freddie Delaney. And Josephine is living on the streets, sneaking into jazz clubs and composing music from every genre, from jazz to classical and everything in between. And she's a natural. So Freddie convinces Josephine to work with him. She is his silence partner, and guess what? His career takes off, but who was a real genius here? And then in the present day, Byrne teams up with tech-savvy Ebony Washington and the two uncover clues that indicate Delaney may have had help in composing his most successful works. Anyway, it sounds like they're going to try and uncover and figure out where the real genius lies, and they're trying to right history's wrongs. I loved The Violin Conspiracy, and I'm not a music person, but I don't care. (laughs) This sounds great, and I love when an author like stays in the things that he knows because he is a violinist himself and is in the classical music world, so I'll read whatever he wants to tell us about. This was Symphony of Secrets by Brendan Slocum. All right, my shelf edition is The Quiet Tenant by Clémence. Michelin comes out June 20th. If this is not right up my alley, I don't know what is. This is about a guy named Aiden, and he is a hardworking family man, beloved in his small town. He's handsome, he's a widower, and he's kind of he's the kind of man that is always always willing to lend a helping hand and has a nice word for everyone. However, Aiden has a secret because he is also a kidnapper and serial killer. Sure. (laughs) I mean, you know, he is, but he's murdered eight women and there's a ninth that he has kept imprisoned in his backyard shed for five years. This sounds tough, I know, but there is a point in the story where he and his 13-year-old daughter, Cecilia, have to move. So they move and he takes Rachel who's been in the shed with them, introduces her to Cecilia as a family friend who needs a place to stay. And it, and then those two end up connecting. This is all in the like publisher's blurb. The story is told from Rachel's perspective, from Cecilia's perspective, and then from a girlfriend that 
Aiden ends up finding, and her name is Emily. So between the three women, they tell the story. So that's what I like about this, Mm -hmm. which reminds me, gives me the vibes of Notes on an Execution, which was also partly told by the women. But in this story, the question seems to be, will all of these women somehow find a way to break free from Aiden? So I don't know. We have to read to find out. This is The Quiet Tenant by Clémence Michelin. It comes out June 20th. Yeah, that sounds really, really good, though. I'd never heard of that one. All right. Well, that's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. Remember when we used to record? Yes. God, those Those were the days. That was the best. That was the best. I know. I knew, though, that your days were were numbered. (laughs) I didn't. I didn't know my days were numbered. I thought it was going to. I remember specifically was at book club, and I said, hold on, guys. Like, let me just put Lily to sleep. Walked in. Here you go. Lemon, bye. Nina goes, that's it? She's she's just asleep now? Like, that's all. I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, my God. She has two kids. A little bit. One's younger, one's older than Lily, but just a little bit. <laughs> and literally, I'm not kidding. The next day, Lily was like, <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Oh, man. Oh, anyway. Man. Yeah. I mean, you, you had it good for quite a while. I have yeah. it very good.